Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Good to experience your presence in this room. Good to experience your presence online with us. And uh, hope you're having a great uh, streaming experience as well. Uh, starting out today, I just want to talk about a childhood memory uh, from the time, you know, I know it doesn't look it, but, you know, I am, I can claim to be part of a child of the 70s, right? Uh, I was six years old, yeah, six years old when 1980 hit. And so I do remember, I have some vague memories of the 70s. One of them I remember was the guy in my neighborhood, and he's the guy that is in all of our neighborhoods or in all of our towns. We have someone like this. His name was Rick. I can give you a last name, and if you really want to know because you think he might be a distant relative of yours, uh, come and see me after service, and I would be happy to share that. But since I know we're streaming... I don't want to uh, share his last name in case I'm not afraid of him watching, but maybe he has a cousin or a brother or a sister that uh, that just I bring up painful memories from for, and I don't want to do that. But Rick was a, a guy who we all talked about, and we all had stories about him. You see, Rick, we'd see him walking the streets, walking the county roads walking the highways and the byways all around Arnold, Missouri, every day. We don't know where Rick was going, but he was going somewhere, Dave. He was always headed somewhere somewhere because he was always on the roads. He had a, uh, a dirty, torn denim jacket with the white fleece inside of it. You know the kind? He'd wear that in the coldest of days with no gloves or no hat. He'd wear it in the hottest of days in the summertime, when, just to look at him, I would break out in a flop sweat. He had, you'd see him on the road, and he always had scabs and had, had cuts on his face um, because oftentimes wherever Rick got tired, that's where he would sleep. And so much of his face had road rash from him just collapsing and going to sleep right there on the side of the road or the side of the street. His teeth were jagged from accidents. Uh, instead of a tooth getting broken and going to the dentist to fix it, Rick just lived with it. And one tooth turned into two teeth, turned into three and four and five, and you get the picture. Rick, when someone would try to talk to him, he would stare through them at best at worst, he would holler and scream obscenities that you couldn't even understand totally, often as if he was talking to someone past you. Rick, uh, there was fear of Rick being a violent person, uh, Rick being a dangerous person. As children, we would tell stories in our school of Rick, and we would tell how he would steal children, right? And the things, the terrible things he would do with kids. Our parents taught, used Rick as a boogeyman and would tell us at night, if you don't be quiet, Rick's going to hear you on the other side of the window and he's going to come and get you. 
my dad, I'd say, what do you mean Rick's going to hear me? And they'd be like, don't you know that Rick always sleeps right, right on the other side of your window? Don't you know that? I mean, the things our parents taught us and told us and thought were funny, right? You know, uh, needless to say, my eyes were wide open for the next three months, wondering, you know, I'd look out the window and just be knowing that Rick's going to be looking back at me one day. Rick, Rick was the boogeyman in our neighborhood, and we all had him, didn't we? We all had those people. They might have had a different name. They might have had a different backstory. But it was that person who was on the outside of society. And yes, we believe, like us kids believe Rick was this violent mass murderer. And of course, in the 70s, we didn't have terms like serial killer. We, didn't, we were innocent back then. We didn't know what those people were, what those things were. But we, we had the archetype already established as children. We saw that that was Rick. Rick was the guy that if he got a hold of you, ooh, terrible things would happen. The truth be told, what Rick was, was I was talking to my brother just this week about him because my brother was in his class and, and knew, knew friends of his, knew of him. And Rick was a very uh, uh, a, a, a good kid, a very good kid uh, in junior high. He was a smart kid. He was an honor roll student. And what happened, what happened was somewhere between junior high and high school, he got into the wrong crowd Definitely wrong people, definitely wrong place, definitely wrong time because Rick was growing up when? During the LSD generation, right? And so with the wrong crowd, was taking all sorts of chemicals into his body. And I don't know the, chem- I don't know the, the medical description, we would say, but as adults today or as adults back then would describe, he, he fried his brain on several bad LSD trips. And this is what you have today. This is what you have. This guy who was on the outside of society. This guy who was not the norm. This guy who could not be in conventional company. This guy who did not know the rules of etiquette. Who did not know how people should communicate with one another. He was completely, thanks to the the psychedelic era of the 70s, he was completely incapable of of having normal, healthy relationships, holding a job, living in society. And as I already mentioned, we all have people like this in our world, don't we? Who's, you know, be interesting to hear who your person is, right? Who's that person that you grew up in your neighborhood? And maybe it wasn't LSD, maybe it was alcohol, or maybe it wasn't alcohol, it was just a bad family and it was bad experiences. Whatever the case was, we, we know who these people are. They're outside of our society. They have no hope in life. That's the person who Jesus rescues here in this, in this age, in this story. Now, I must confess, uh, my task today, as, I, as was assigned to me by Pastor Dave, Pastor Dave, for the record, was the one who created this series, The Answer. It was his curriculum that we're doing. He gave me an assignment today. I did an audible this week, and I'm not going to follow through on my assignment. My assignment was to look at this man, right? And to look at how Jesus is the answer for people who have no hope. And, and to help you understand that you're like the demoniac, right? And as I just kept on reading the story and going, it started two weeks ago, Dave, obviously. My, I, I just have to confess my, my plans of sedition, my plans to rebel against the task today, and, and I just knew that at some point I could get in line and I could, I could, uh, I could, I could 
find my way back to my task. But you know, I never could. I never could. And I just, I keep on coming back to something else. And so today, we're going to focus on the something else. It's in Luke chapter 8, verse 35. Again, I'm so entrenched and entranced by this man, but I find my mind going somewhere else in the story that has me super puzzled today. And I must apologize up front. I don't have a sermon for you. All I have today is just some questions that I'm still wrestling with, and I invite you to wrestle with me so that maybe together we could come up with some answers for our life. Because in Luke 8, we read of of how Jesus came to this region, how he rescued a man who was beyond hope. And then we continue to read in verse 35, the people went out to see what happened. This is after Jesus rescued this demoniac, this man who had many demons inside of him. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. I'm so puzzled by that. They were afraid when they saw not a man who was wild, not a man who was murderous, not a man who had the strength of many men who could tear through chains, who lived among the dead, who cried and howled in the nighttime where all the village could hear him. They were not afraid of seeing this man but they were afraid of seeing Jesus who restored this man. I'm puzzled by this. Verse 36, those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes, they asked Jesus to do what? To, to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So Jesus being the gentleman that he is, that he was and that he is, the scripture declares he got into a boat and he left. Case closed. All these people were afraid. They wanted Jesus to leave them. They were so fearful of what Jesus had done. Why? Why? And again, I apologize to you. If you're a guest, if you're, if you're watching online, then you're probably right now going, I'm never coming back to that church. I'm never going to tune in again because I don't have an answer for you. A good pastor, a good preacher would have three points and he would have a poem to wrap this all up together and give you a nice, a nice little devotional thought to take home with you today. But I don't have an answer. I am perplexed that here these people see an incredible an incredible working of God, and evidently, and for the record, this shows us how we can have such comfort in knowing that the scriptures are true, because literally, if, if this was a sham, everything would make perfect sense in it. It does not make sense that a crazed maniac who is running, terrorizing the neighborhood, terrorizing the village, scaring children, living among the dead, desecrating a culture. Keep in mind, a culture where how you take care of your dead relatives is important. He is desecrating their graves. He is desecrating the dead in, the, in this village. And, and, and they're more comfortable with that than with a guy who's in his right mind who's been cured. I'm perplexed, friends, because that does not make sense to me. That does not make sense 
to rational thought. Why? Why are these people so upset? See, there was one argument that was put out there that was saying, well, when Jesus sent the demons into the swine and the swine went over, went over the, uh, uh, the cliff and they all died, these people were upset because that represented their, their financial stability. Well, I disagree with that statement because not everyone in the town owned pigs. That would make sense for one owner. That would make sense for the person who owned those animals to be upset with why they lost their animals. But for the entire town to experience this fear does not make sense to me. Why would they? Is it, is it because there, there is this reality that is put before them that when Jesus comes into your culture, when he comes into your village, when he comes into your home, when he comes into your life, you could count on it every day that he will upset the status quo. You see, the reality was Jesus messed up Legion's parade. Legion had a great time at this point. Many, the demon called many, had a, a great time. He ran roughshod over this human being's life. He was able to destroy this person and everyone just could stand there helpless watching. Jesus comes in and destroy, destroys the status quo for Legion. And could it be, could it be just possibly that this town saw this and saw how Jesus upset the apple cart when it came to the relationship between Legion and this man and the relationship between Legion and the community and between Legion and even the pigs in that community, that these villagers, could they have reacted with such fear that they were like, oh, Jesus messed up Legion's life. If he messed up and changed this guy's life, what will he do to us if we accept him into our village? What other things would Jesus find that might, might upset the status quo? The reality was, this town, I believe, they understood that they had things that Jesus would change on a dime. And they weren't prepared, I'm thinking here, they were not prepared for those changes to take place. They did not want those changes to, to take place. Now, the reality is, the town reacted this way. If you were in that story, how would you have reacted? How would you, what would you have done, do you think, if you, if you grew up for months and months and months, even years, with the Rick... Rick story, right? Except instead of Rick, it's a guy who calls himself Legion. And he runs around and he's torn up and he sleeps wherever he wants. He goes, he's driven out into the desert for weeks on end. Well, who knows what he's doing out there? And then when he is around, he's sleeping in the tombs of our ancestors. And when we have come and tried to, to bring him into civil society, we've chained him for our own safety. What does he do? He breaks the chains and he runs off like a wild man. And we're terrified of him. We tell our children to stay away from him. If someone ends up missing, we go to look to where, where is he at? Where is he at at the time that the, the missing person uh, a case occurred? Uh, uh, when all of that is happening, and then we see him just by having a, a simple interaction with the Savior, he is in right mind. He is now uh, sane. He is, he is stable. He, he is able to speak clear, clear thoughts to everyone. 
Would you have responded by going, oh, Jesus, I, I give everything to you because you have authority even over this? Or would you be like this, the townspeople and just say, I'm really scared. I'm really scared of what's happening here. I don't want this guy around. This guy is too powerful. He is messing up too many things. He, he, I can't control him. You see, that's the thing about religion. One reason why religion is comforting to people is because, in essence, we can control it, right? We can control religion. I can control how much religion comes into my home. I can control what I choose to do. I can control if I go to small group or if I don't. I can control how I share of myself to people around me and how much I choose to expose of myself. But when Jesus comes in, you can't control anything about him. You, you, you get that? That's what we're seeing here. And so it begs a question for us. Do you and I, do we operate with this status quo mentality? You, you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the status quo mentality for faith and religion is, is based, we, make, we make deals. We make deals with God. We make deals with Satan. We make deals with our parents and our family. You know, the deals with, okay, I'll do this. I'll do this, but I will never do that. So maybe with Satan, well, okay, Satan, you know, you, you've got something in my heart craving alcohol. And okay, I, I'm not going to even try to fight that, but I'll never do this. Oh, yeah, okay, if I get drunk and I can't stop drinking until, until I can't control myself anymore, that's okay, but I'll never find myself waking up in a strange place. Well, what happens that you and I both know we make these deals where we say, I'll do that, but I'll never do this. That will always fail. We approach religion and we say, okay, God, I'll, I'll do this, but I'll never do that. Okay, God, you want me to come to church? I'll, I'll fine, I'll come to church. I, I'll live Monday through Saturday as if they're my own and I have no accountability and I do whatever I want to do and no one's going to hold me accountable. But Sunday's yours, God. You, I'll be at church on Sunday unless, of course, something better comes along. But th then that's a different story. But, but okay, I'll do that, right? See, we approach religion that way too, don't we? We approach other people. We'll even approach our, our mates. We'll approach our spouses. We'll approach our kids in that way. We're, well, I'll do this, but I won't do that. But when Jesus is in the mix, we, we cannot make, make bartering. We cannot barter with him. We cannot make deals with him because Jesus understands that when we follow through on the status quo, that always always leads to death. It never ends good for you, okay? You're trying to live your life on the status quo. It's never going to go well for you. Some people, they like Rick, they experience it just in a few months, right? The sad thing is for many of us, we're not on that, that kind of tragic course with sin. We're on a, a much more societal accepted course, right? In which that won't lead to death in a few weeks where some of us that are astute in our outlook will go, whoa, what am I doing here? It takes months and months and months or years and years and years to happen, right? And when that occurs, then it's too late. And so for many of us, as we're accepting the status quo that leads to death, we don't recognize that it leads to death until, until it's years down the road and we feel like it's past, we're past a point of no return, right? Jesus sees that the status quo leads to death and so what does he do? He topples it. He topples it. There are times that we see him interacting with people where he sees how the status quo is killing them. In this man's case, the status quo was killing him. And Jesus said, it's like he said, I had enough. 
I had enough. In this case, I can make, I can make a change. I'm going to make a difference here. And he changes. So what's the answer for us? Again, not preaching. I wish I had three points and said, do this, do this, do this. And, and then we, I could go home. I could go home, honestly, knowing no one ever does it, right? Uh, and, 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 but I feel like, well, hey, I gave the answer, so therefore I've done my job. I don't have an answer for you other than just saying, as I see with this young man, this, and I'm assuming he's a young man, I really don't know, this man, what was his answer? It was absolute, unconditional surrender to the rule and dominion of King Jesus. It starts in life for us when we say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me and come into my life to be my king. But for everyone, then, once they've come into that point where they say, Jesus, I need you, it continues with our growing in our trust and our faith in Jesus. Which in this season, it begs the question, how are you doing? How are you doing with that? How are you doing in your faith, in your trust for Jesus? What a beautiful season. Can you believe in one way we can say 2020 is a beautiful time because 2020 is giving us an incredible ability to grow in our faith and grow in our trust in Jesus. You know, when the stock market is high and it's high every day, when we have total political stability, when there is no health crisis out there, when everything is just coming up peachy, it's easy to live in that era. It's easy to say, oh, Jesus, I would turn to you when the bottom falls out, when everything's going well. It's easy when there's no persecution, when there is no pressure under the church to go, oh, of course, King Jesus, if the authorities were to make life difficult for me or if people around me make life difficult, of course I'll turn to you. But, But we can only know the true answer when we actually start experiencing those kinds of things, right? And so the question I again ask is, how are you doing? Right now, is there an area of your life that you're dealing with that God is giving you the opportunity to surrender it and to give give it to him? Make no mistake here, friends. King Jesus is not satisfied with partial control or conditional surrender in your life. If you think that, you know, hey, God and I, me and the big guy, first of all, if that's how you respond to the holy God, then I promise you, you're not in a good spot, okay? Let's just just get that on top, uh, in place. But if you're saying, hey, me and the big guy, we're okay. We have a deal in place that he doesn't mess with this over here, and I don't mess with him over here. We're good. We're good. If, If that is your response, I challenge you. I challenge you. To make King Jesus the Lord of your life. Understand that he is not interested in partial or conditional surrender. He's not interested in partial control from you. He wants all of your will. Jesus wants all of your heart. Jesus wants all of your life. Jesus wants all of your resources that you can bear in life. He wants to have control of all of those things. Now, I want to make it very clear and hear me clearly. I'm not at all saying that what Jesus is looking for is someone to be perfect, perfect, right? He, he is looking for someone to say, God, I'm broken. 
I'm broken just like Legion was, but I give you everything I have. All of my brokenness, you got it. And, and make a change. You know, I, I trust you to do what you will with it. <laughs> and in the midst of life, Jesus makes radical changes. Now, in Legion's life, he made radical changes like that. Realistically, most of our lives, we see the changes coming uh, slowly over weeks and weeks of prayer and connecting with people, months and months. Sometimes we don't see breakouts even in years, right? But make no mistake, Jesus is at work even when you don't see him at work. Why? Because he wants his kingdom to come to bear in all of our lives. And it only begins when we say, Jesus, yeah, I'm, I'm scared here, but I give you total control, total surrender. And I realize I'm talking to a lot of Christ followers here. I realize I'm talking to the majority of the people in this room are people that, that can say, yep, there was a day in my life when I did say, Jesus, I need you, forgive me, and come into my life. But you know what happens through life? Life happens, right? Life happens in life. And what we start doing is we start saying, yep, I made that decision when I was a child or when I was a young adult, but life is so much more difficult now, I need to start taking back some of the things that I originally gave to Jesus. I need to start taking back. You know, we're in a tough economic time, and in the past I trusted him with my economic future, but I don't know that God is worthy to be trusted anymore. And so what do you do? You start taking back control of your finances where you before you practiced biblical principles. We start taking back control of, you know, at one time I would share my faith and I'd be open with my faith, but now, now I'm seeing that I'm starting to, starting to pay a little price. You know, it was easy back in the 90s when, when boy bands would wear what would Jesus do bracelets and Christianity was kind of cool, you know, in the pop culture. It was easy for me to be like, oh yeah, I pray. Hey, I'm praying for you today. Hey, I'm praying because I got, I got a t-shirt even says I'm praying. Got a prayer? Got a prayer? You need me to pray? I'm praying. Hey, it's cool. I'm praying. But now when all of a sudden you, you talk about prayer and people will, will write a, 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 a thing in the newsletter about how prayer doesn't change anything and you're just a pompous, ignorant, you know, blankety blank. I know that because I got that one day from the newsletter. Uh, you know, it's easy to be like, maybe I shouldn't talk about prayer anymore. Maybe I should just keep that to myself. Hey, one time I put my Bible on my desk and yeah, you know, People were starting to wonder if they could trust me because I'm one of those Bible thumpers. Maybe I should just quit talking so much about my faith, right? I would say to you today, trust Jesus. Yes, he's going to upset the status quo. Yes, he's going to upset the apple cart in your life. And you know what? The more you get scared of what's going on, cling to him tighter than before. And may our thoughts be the thoughts of King David when he wrote Psalm 119, in which he says in verse 14, I rise and cry out for help. I put my hope in you. You need help today? Rise up and cry out to the one who can hear you and put your hope in him. And I promise you, he'll upset the status quo in your life, whether you're ready for it or not. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and we thank you, God. We thank you for the testimony of how you upset a status quo in Legion's life. God, we thank you for even just the, the story, just seeing how you operate 
today of just reminding us that you're in control of everything, including the technology that comes to bear and, and how we respond, how we engage with one another, how we interact with you, Lord. And so, God, we pray, knowing that we don't control you. Father, hear our prayers today, and we hand our lives to you, and we ask you, Abba Father, to upset the status quo and do a work in this church, do a work in the lives of the people that make up this church, God. These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.